What is going on, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Technical Talk Podcast. In this episode, we will be recapping Game 2 and getting you ready for Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Um, if you do not recall, Game 1 was won by Denver, 104-93. to Game 2 was won by Miami, 111-108. to In a game that, in my opinion, should not have been as close as it was to end. But as the series shifts to Miami from Denver, I figured, hey, why not do a check-in and get you prepared for what I believe will be an absolutely amazing Game 3. But before we get to all that, we got to get you to the intro, and I'll meet you on the other side to get the episode started. But as always, welcome back to Technical Talk. It's good to have you. Let's get going. You're out of your mind. There is no way that LeBron will ever be Jordan. Nobody will ever be Jordan, okay? Okay, LeBron's a better rebounder and passer. Will you let me finish? Can you, can you let me finish? Call me when LeBron has six championships. Is that your only argument? It's the only argument I need, Sean! All right, so getting you right into our Game 3 look-ahead slash Game 2 recap, I feel like it was important for us to kind of take a look at the starting lineup differences. Um, we saw a lot of size mismatches in game one uh, between the two starting lineups, and specifically at the pseudo four position, um, I went back and I watched game one, and I saw that um, Jeff Van Gundy was right in his analysis. They were originally lining up Jimmy Butler with Aaron Gordon, uh, but I didn't necessarily feel like Jimmy Butler was the primary, like the primary use of Jimmy Butler would be to defend Aaron Gordon, if you follow me. So a change was definitely needed as uh, any mismatch just resulted in a complete murder, uh, to be completely honest, by the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Aaron Gordon got buckets specifically against um, the smaller defenders. Uh, in the first quarter of game one. So just getting you on to the starting lineups of game two was very important to me. Eric Spolster chose to deploy the starting lineup of Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Kevin Love, Max Struess, and Gabe Vincent. This, of course, differed, uh, as I previously mentioned, um, as Caleb Martin started in the place of Kevin Love. Um, I still don't understand why Kevin Love didn't even touch the floor, especially with all of the mismatches, excuse me, um, that we saw uh, from the Heat defensively. Um, but this new unit um, averages 33 points per game as a unit, 13 rebounds so far in the playoffs. And originally coming in, this Game 2 unit uh, was the most played rotation for Eric Spolstra throughout the playoffs so far, which made it, I mean, even more interesting when we think about um, game one and the massacre that we saw. Um, the game one unit only averaged 19.9 points and 8.4 rebounds as a lineup. Also, the game line, the game one lineup hasn't been used as much as the game two lineup overall, um, as only in 11 games uh, this postseason have we seen that game one lineup as opposed to 14 um, for that game two lineup. I also felt that it was important to kind of compare the defensive capability and efficiency of both lineups uh, in relation to game one and game two. Um, in game one, of course, Denver shot 50.6% from the floor and had an incredible 46 points in the paint um, as Nikola Jokic scored 27 points. I'm going to focus on Nikola Jokic specifically during this 
portion uh, because we're going to circle back and do a little more work when it comes to his um, outlook and performance heading into game three. But in game two, Denver shot a cumulative total of 52% um, with 34 points in the paint with Nikola Jokic scoring 41. Um, the defensive rating of the game one starters for the Heat compared to game two. Uh, in game one, the average defensive rating among the starters so far in the playoffs was 102 with an offensive rating of 108. That's a plus 6.4 differential. But check out the game two starting lineup defensive rating and efficiency numbers. Among the starters, the defensive rating was 104. I get that that's 2.4 ticks higher than what I just mentioned, but the offensive rating was 115.8, which pushes it to a... 11.4 differential as opposed to that 6.4 differential. I have no idea in terms of offensive defense, again, why Eric Spolster chose that lineup. And Spolster's defense, I mean, I can relate. Kevin Love had no experience with the Heat when it came to playing the Denver Nuggets during in the regular season um, as Love was acquired via buyout from the Cleveland Cavaliers after the series had concluded uh, just nine days earlier on February 13th from his actual acquired date of February 22nd. But still seeing the size disadvantage, it, it still doesn't sit right with me that we didn't see any appearance of Kevin Love. But moving you forward, you know, the Heat performed uh, in game two a, a lot differently than game one. Um, as we saw them take a, the defensive approach of limiting Nikola Jokic's assisting ability, opening up more shots for him, as we saw from that 41-point performance that he put on. Um, this was actually the first um, kind of game plan that I had drawn out uh, when when we were looking at some of the things that Miami could exploit in the offense of Denver and one of the biggest things that we saw was just kind of a little bit of a discrepancy between Jokic's um, auxiliary, I'm going to call them auxiliary performances, which is like the incredible rebounding and assist games in comparison to his scoring games. And we felt that, you know, making him score the basketball would open him up uh, more as an offensive liability than just letting, than just bringing like a conventional double team and having him kick out to any and everyone. Um, and it actually worked for Miami. This uh, paired with the fact that they were absolutely 100% able to hit the three-point shots um, that they were not uh, able to hit in addition to the um, mid-range shots that they weren't able to hit in game one. It just made an entirety of difference. And so I feel that coming out of game two, heading into game three, we have a lot of questions that we're going to attempt to answer. Um, but, you know, I don't want to sit here and tell you that the primary reason was um, the Miami Heat's uh, shooting ability in game two, as that definitely played a part, but also wasn't the primary reason as to why they won. If you remember uh, during the game, the Heat were down as many as 15 points. Um, they were down eight going into the fourth quarter specifically. And, you know, to this point, it felt like to everyone that Miami just had no chance. 
Uh, this is a feeling that I've been getting at a lot of different points between game one and game two because the Heat just find them way, just find ways to dig holes and dig holes with themselves. But Denver, for a record, had not lost at home during this postseason run. They actually hadn't lost since, uh, I believe, March 30th. So it's been almost uh, two months uh, to the day. Um, but they were more specifically 11-0 in these playoffs when they were leading by double digits at any point in the game. And they were also 37 and one this season when leading by at least eight points going into the fourth quarter. Um, the heat did eventually climb back um, as they outscored Denver 17 to five in the first like four minutes of the fourth quarter to take the lead. Um, they grinded up to a 12 point lead and then Jamal Murray exploded um, down the stretch. Uh, of course, resulting in that last second shot um, in which he missed. But getting into getting into more of a game three look ahead, uh, I feel like a lot of you guys have been watching these finals games right along with me. So there's you you have a good memory of how the game went. But getting into our game three look ahead, you know, I I asked myself the question coming in. You know, in regard to Nikola Jokic, is he better as an as, as kind of like a de facto second option on this team, I want to say. Not, of course, we're looking at Jokic as uh, quite literally an MVP candidate, and he probably should have won MVP, but that's neither here nor there again. Um, I just, in games in which he's required to score, I feel like we don't get enough from his teammates. And I feel like also in games like game two, when he does score more and I'm asking myself yo what are the teammates doing that forcing him to put the team on his back and leaving him open uh, I put open in air quotes for that one uh, but leaving him open kind of doesn't lend itself to a winning formula for the Denver Nuggets um, as opposed to to games like game one where he's working his way into the painted area and finding wide open teammates. And I mean, in game one, if you remember quite literally wide open teammates. So I just, I, I kept that in the back of my, in the, in the back of my mind, uh, moving into game three, I want to see what the heat do. Um, we saw them run a little bit of that zone in game one. It was a disaster. In my opinion, they just couldn't guard anything in game one. Um, that of course changed in game two as they deployed more of a balanced defensive approach to all five players on the court. But Moving into game three, I kind of want to see, do they continue to let Jokic be the primary scorer, which which I, of course, would recommend uh, at this point, or do they kind of go back and forth between the two strategies? Um, but moving you forward, I, I took a look at the defensive rating and, and uh, statistics of the two starting lineups in game one and game two, because I feel like hot starts are what this series is going to be about as we saw Miami jump out to its hot start in game two and Denver of course jump out to a stellar start in game one um so in game one the defensive rating among starters was 102 with an offensive rating of 108 of course that 6.4 uh differential that we mentioned earlier game two we saw that 104 to 115 differential um a lot of this I feel like comes down to size uh, if you remember in game one, Aaron Gordon only attempted two shots out of 10 outside of the painted area. He was 7-10 to 10 overall. 
uh, for 16 points. 12, of course, came that first quarter. So propelling such uh, a performance from the Nuggets really is what he did in game one. So coming back and circling back, I felt like inserting Kevin Love again in game three will do them a tremendous service, uh, not only in defensive uh, matchups, but also in kind of their rebounding and other areas of the game. Not to mention Kevin Love does not have to have the basketball in his hands on offense. Um, as I kind of feel like to produce, um, Caleb Martin kind of does. Uh, open shots, I, I don't have the official numbers, but open shots just don't kind of, they don't vibe with me uh, when I'm comparing Kevin Love and Caleb Martin, despite all of the great performances we've seen from Caleb Martin. Uh, but this is a defensive conversation. I feel like matching up Aaron Gordon specifically, if they continue to deploy Kevin Love, um, they'll they'll be fine uh, defensively. I don't I don't fear for the Heat in a defensive manner. Um, moving forward to just another thing that we were paying attention to was the home and away splits and the differences the series shifts down to Miami. You know, you heard a lot of talk going into Game Two and Game One about altitude. I understand that I'm not a proponent of the altitude argument, but we'll make the case the reverse way since uh, major media made the case <laughs> for the first two games the opposite way. So for Denver on the road, um, they were 19-22 and 22 during the regular season, 4-3 and three on the road during the playoffs, and they averaged around 112.2 points per game. I want you to kind of disregard that points per game. That's kind of a, another statistic that will separate, and I want you to just keep it in the back of your mind. Um, Miami at home, however, were 27 and 14 during the regular season, six and two at home during the playoffs um, to this point, and they shoot around 37.3 percent from three, and they average around 110 points uh, per game. So, as this series gets on the road, we have seen the Miami Heat perform spectacularly, in my opinion, at home this uh, postseason. And while I'm not concerned uh about the nuggets road record i it 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 kind of does uh play a factor um we've seen the heat shoot that aforementioned 37.3 percent from three and just as a side note when they shoot above 35 percent which is i'm gonna call this their their target number and this is gonna tie into the next subject that we talk about um, when they hit 35% from three, they're 13 and seven. This might not be the best record overall to, to some of you, um, as it's only a 65% win percentage, but they have quite literally been driven by threes on this playoff run. You can go back and you can look at the game charts for game one at Denver. You can look at the game charts for game two at Denver, and you'll see that three point percentage did play a difference. Again, they did shoot, um, I believe it was somewhere in the twenties, uh, from three in relation um, to their game two performance where it, I think they shot like on par with where they were uh, supposed to to land. I want to say it was above 35%, if not at 35%. Let's see if I can pull up these numbers really quickly for you uh, just so that I'm as accurate as possible. So yeah, in game two, they shot 48% from the floor. They went 17 to 35 so obviously the three point shot does generate a lot of offense for Miami, uh, which we all know by now. Um, 
But, you know, when it comes to the three-point performance, I feel like they penetrated a lot more in game two than game one. Uh, going back to game one, I, I saw a lot of stagnant uh, possessions, which means that there'd be a cutter, but outside of that cutter, there was no movement on the perimeter, not to mention poor shot selection, not to mention really nobody doing work on the uh, interior besides Bam Adebayo. I'm not going to beat them up too much for that um, because I think that they looked at some of the opponent numbers for Denver and they saw uh, possibly a need for exploitation of that. I I'm, I mean, that's really not my uh, place to, to judge them on. I wouldn't have done that personally. I, I think basketball has played um, interior out, not uh, exterior in. Um, but you can thank Stephen Curry for that. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, looking forward to game three, you know, continuing some semblance of that three-point production it's ridiculous to ask of Miami. 48% from three, you know, it, it, it's just like that 60% from the field uh, that Denver shot during the regular season in December against them. Uh, it's just really hard to ask for. But I think that if we can generate more of that production in the paint, which Denver no doubt will adjust for, uh, we can see more kicks from Bam Adebayo. That's actually one of the most interesting things uh, also that I wanted to touch on. Bam Adebayo has been the primary source of offense for the Miami Heat, if you really break it down uh, between his game one and game two performances. And so I think that Jimmy Butler can get more involved into the penetration aspect of that, but I'm also waiting for a vintage Jimmy moment. Um, you know, in game one, he was 6-14 for 13 points, and in game two, he was 7-19 for 21. I mean, you're going to need a statement game in game three um and and even in possibly in game four if you're if you're not fortunate enough to win game three which i feel like game threes when it comes to playoff series in the finals are one of the most important games to play uh it's the first game back on the opponent's home floor and so obviously um both teams are looking to make a statement in opposite ways but you know, I can't depend on just Bam, Max Struess, and um, Gabe Vincent the whole way home. I'm going to need a 2020 bubble performance out of Jimmy Butler, specifically in Game 5 of that bubble series. Um, and that's just one of the first few points that I had looking forward to Game 3 for Miami. Um, you know, moving over to Denver, I... Denver is a complete team, and so with a complete team that averages something like 29 assists per night, to just completely shut out that um, effort in lieu of a Nikola Jokic specialty really isn't ideal for them. Uh, and so it's unfortunate to see them go through that, but again, you know, Jokic and, and Murray shot about, I want to say, 40... 41 shots between them, uh, that shot distribution just doesn't line up. In addition to the fact that we only saw 23 assists out of them. So that means that Jokic's scoring took a prevalence to everything else, which is okay in some 
instances because, again, a 41-point performance, I can't sit up here and criticize too much. I can't do that. It's just not fair. Um, 41 points is 41 points no matter how you get them. But if I look at the auxiliary scoring, you know, you just had Aaron Gordon come off of a game where he dominated in the paint. He only gets 12 points. You know, you see Bruce Brown with 11, Jamal Murray with 18, whereas last game you got 27, 16, and I think like 20, 21 and 22 from Murray, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, for Denver, really, we're not panicking for them. They're a fantastic basketball team, and I'm sure that Michael Malone will draw up some sets that will get the auxiliary guys um, going in that area. But, you know... Game three, I I really just don't want to sit here and be like, game three is just going to come down to Miami's performance or Denver's uh, performance on the offensive end because there are so many factors that are playing into this series, again, um, that we just can't quantify. So I think that best-case scenario for Miami, um, you get – your same, you get some semblance of a shooting performance. You hit that 30, let's say 33 to 35%, but you get a boost in Jimmy Butler's scoring. I think that sets you up best for a winning performance. If Jimmy Butler could crack, I want to say 25, you're looking at Bam Adebayo not having to score, what is he at, probably 20, 25 points per game right now. You, you take some of that offensive load out. Um, again, I don't expect Bam Adebayo to be able to, to do that for however many games the series goes. I, I honestly don't even expect him to do that in game three tomorrow night. Uh, so this is the time where Jimmy's going to have to step up. Uh, Jimmy's going to have to put the team on his back. He's going to have to have a vintage performance, and I understand that. And I will uh, stand on that fact. Uh, switching over to Denver, uh, and we'll, we'll close out after this. Uh, I don't want to run you around in too many circles. I, I feel like I've explained this to the best of my ability. But for Denver, based on the sets that we see Miami run defensively, uh, if they're leaving Jokic with room to operate, I, I, I really don't want to say don't take the opportunities because obviously if you have a chance to score 41 points uh, from one player, I mean, I, I don't see why you don't pursue that, but Maybe around him, we try to we try to just generate some more action. Maybe get the ball out of his hands a couple possessions like you did in game one. Maybe focusing it on Jamal Murray. Even Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who didn't have a great shooting performance um, on the night. But again, he's only limited to four shots in 36 minutes. I, I don't think that that will um, remain the same. But I think that there are ways that you can exploit other matchups. I don't think that there's a guy that can guard Jamal Murray. Um, unless it's Jimmy Butler, in all honesty. So, I, I mean, maybe we throw him into more ISO sets. We try that pick and roll, see if we can we can switch um, a one onto a five, a five onto a one, and we just exploit it from there. But for Denver, I mean, if I'm a Denver fan, I don't panic a lot. I mean, your assist numbers are just below what you've averaged uh, throughout the playoffs. Um, so it means you're still moving the ball. However... When Jokic, we see a, we see that significant difference when it's Jamal Murray having those 10 assists where Jokic can have 15 assists. So I think that focusing in the paint and still running um, a perimeter offense outside of a 4-1 box set is going to do you the most justice if you're Michael Malone. 
Um, but again, these finals have been unpredictable. These playoffs have been unpredictable. So I can't uh, obviously look forward too far into what Eric Spolstra is going to deploy defensively or what Michael Malone is uh, going to employ offensively. All I can say is that game three is going to be fantastic. Uh, I think that you have to, some players that I'm going to look out for are definitely going to be Jamal Murray. Um, after kind of, I mean, he had a good performance. 18 points is never something that you hang your head over, but I mean, you can definitely clean up, um, some aspects of this game if you're Denver. Um, and you know, I'm looking at, uh, just some of the performances, uh, that I was getting if I'm Michael Malone and I'm going to try to force the issue a little more with uh, guys like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. uh, specifically who had an atrocious shooting night. As for Miami, um, count your lucky stars that you are not down to nothing in this series. And I just wanted to branch off. I've been floating this uh, in our game one recap episode. I floated the same thing over your heads and that's Tyler Hero coming back. Um, he is expected to test that hand again. He obviously tested a game two, wasn't ready to go. That's fine. Um, but this is that window when you might get Tyler Hero back. And although I don't think he'll take Max Struess's place in the lineup or Gabe Vincent's place in the lineup, I think that, you know, him coming off the bench will give them, uh, a spark. And I think that the best case scenario is, is him coming off the bench because with the current staggering that they're doing with Jimmy's minutes and Bam's minutes, you're not really getting another offensive force um, in that bench unit. Uh, and so I feel like just as far as shot creation, a guy that can create his own shot, a guy that can kind of draw a little bit more defensive focus from the Nuggets bench um, is Tyler Hero. So if he is to play, I think he will play a gravity difference um, on and a spacing difference on the floor because I think that even, again, a 25% Tyler Hero is better than a 0% Tyler Hero or Tyler Hero is sitting on the bench. Uh, Tyler Hero is dripping on the bench, by the way. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Great fashion. Um, but, you know, that's just another thing to look out for uh, for the Miami Heat. Alrighty, that is going to do it for another episode of the Technical Talk podcast. Um... I I just want to end this episode off by saying thank you so much um, once again for listening, uh, taking the time out of your days. I understand that during summertime, things can get a little busy, uh, especially if you have children running around or maybe you're out of school. Um, so it, it means a lot for you guys to take time out of your days uh, and what I'm sure are very busy lives to listen to me sit here and rant about basketball. Um, but now that we got that thanks out of the way, I just want to remind you tomorrow is game three of the NBA finals, um, Wednesday, June 7th at 8 30 PM Eastern. So I look forward, uh, to that game. I hope you're looking forward to it as well. And, uh, without further ado.
Thank you.